here. Daniel chapter 11 is where we are. And this is a little backstory. I like to kind of bring you up to date. We've got uh, at least one person here who hasn't been here in a while. So Daniel is a book that is, um, it's been called the Revelation, the book of Revelation of the Old Testament. The first half of Daniel is not um, prophecy. It's more the story of Daniel who comes as a young man to Babylon. He's captured and taken there in an attempt to try to convert him to pagan life in Babylon. And he never compromises. He never, ever um, lets the culture influence who and what he is. He believes in his Lord and say, uh, Lord, absolutely. Um, and he's very concerned for the Jewish people. Starting in chapter seven, there's prophecy. Um, uh, and chapter nine, of course, is the heart of the prophecy of Daniel. Verses 24 to 27 span the history time all the way to the Messiah and the second coming. We covered that several weeks ago. But now we're in chapters 10 to 12, which is 10 is the introduction. 11 is the prophecy. 12 is sort of a little more prophecy and the conclusion. So um, chapter 11 um, I heard a sermon by John MacArthur on chapter 11, and he said it was his least favorite chapter. And I heard that and said, amen. This is a hard chapter to teach because it's a lot of history that would affect them immediately. How many know that prophecy is sometimes close in time and sometimes there's a double fulfillment that is in the distant future? So that's kind of what's going on here. We left off in verse 19. What there is is a lot of king of the south, king of the north. That's all in relation to Israel on the map. And so um, let me grab my notes over here. And so what you have is countries that are vying for power um, in the uh, empire that precedes the Roman empire. And we'll see that tonight uh, as well. Um, let's see. Oh, I know what I have to do. Two people, two friends um, gently corrected me and they were absolutely right. So I want to correct something I said last week. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. What I said last week, we talked about prophecy and how accurate it is and that God can see the future and predict it with perfect accuracy. And I said, and this is true, that God is outside of space and time. And he can see all of time as if he's seeing a parade from an airplane or a helicopter, let's say. He sees the beginning, the middle, and the end. And so it's no sweat for him to predict the future. And that is correct. But two friends of mine pointed out, and they're right, it's incomplete. Because the other half of it is that almost implies that God is a casual, un uninvolved observer who's watching, oh, no, look at that. Whoa, Kennedy got elected, and then Nixon, and then all that. That's not what Daniel represents. Daniel represents a God who can see all of time, who does predict the future, but is also very much involved in the rising and falling of certain empires. You say, well, some world leaders are better than others. Amen. Sometimes there are very evil leaders. Romans 13 says every single leader in government, human speaking government, was put there by God. Because sometimes countries, areas get the leader they deserve, not the one they want. So was God surprised on election night? Well, it wasn't election night. It was two months later when we found out Joe Biden 
supposedly won the presidency. Was God surprised? No. Did he know it was going to go the way it went? Yes. We won't get into the election. We don't do a lot of politics here. But anyway, um, I was just bummed that I wasn't nominated. But anyway, um, so I wanted to make that correction. Um, and I, in, in the notes, I have Lamentations 3, Job 37, Acts 4, where you see God directing what happens in human history. So on a grand scale, he does that. That's what Daniel's all about. These empires come and go because he places them there and then takes them out and puts somebody else in. The question is, how extensive is his sovereignty, his power? And the answer is total. Meaning what? Well, I'm not a governor, so it doesn't affect me. Oh, no, it affects you too. God, in fact, chose you, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. He directs our paths, okay? Can we um, disobey and get off track? Absolutely. That's called sin. Amen. But God is involved in your life. There used to be, Thomas Jefferson was one, and there are others in, throughout history that were, um, that believed in what's called a mechanical universe. Okay. That there was a creator, small C, who made the universe, and then he went on a vacation. He just kind of split. He wound the clock and then left, and it's going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. Not biblically. God's involved. God cares about the Jews and about his people, the church, Christianity. So anyway, um, uh, last thing, why prophecy? We haven't discussed this much. Why does God tell the future just to show off? Look, look how smart I am. Number one, he tells the future to show his sovereignty. Number two, he, there's prophecy in the Bible so that we can know the Bible is God's word. Okay, there really isn't prophecy in the other religions. Okay, in the Quran, in the Hindu writings, it, there is not prophecy. Um, and God sh does show us what the future will hold, but mainly to show that He's sovereign and that His word is absolutely true. But the other thing about prophecy, before we dive in tonight, is that I want you to know that prophecy is not a full color video with every detail, okay? Prophecy, what we're given is as much as God wanted us to have, and they tend to be sketches, okay? Where we can know everything. Is every detail in here? No. Is there more detail in Revelation and in Matthew 24? Yes. Is it every detail? No, right? A big detail, when will these things be? No man knows the day or the hour there's a big detail that we don't have that information, right? We're supposed to live in the light of eternity with eternity and heaven in mind, but expecting and looking for our blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that everybody's asleep, let's dive into verse 19. So those of you that are here, say amen so I know you're awake. Amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom, I can see your mouth move. Okay, I saw the waving. Verse 19. So what, what's just happened in... Uh, 17 and following, um, there's the king of the north, the king of the south, all of that continues. What happens is um, the king of the north gives a daughter in marriage to the king of the south to sort of have a spy there, um, and it doesn't really work out. 
anyway, that's the short version. Verse 19. After this, he will turn back toward the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall and be seen no more. So this is Antiochus III. Antiochus IV is the really, really, really bad one called Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll talk about that when we get to him shortly. He is a picture of the coming Antichrist who will be way worse, but very similar. That's why so much time is spent talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. So um, let's see, Antiochus III dies in 187 BC. He tries to get all of Alexander the Great's empire back together again, and it just doesn't work out. He kind of falls in, in, uh, into obscurity and dies. Um, he needs money for the treasury because the country's kind of broke. So he goes into a Babylonian temple to raid it and take a bunch of treasures and idols and what have you. And a, a, an angry mob comes in hearing about it and they kill him there. So kind of an inglorious end for him. Uh, let's see, verse and, and notice he's destroyed not in battle uh, or in anger. He's destroyed by the people who are uh, mad at him for trying to take stuff from the, um, from the temple. Verse 21, he'll be succeeded by a contemptible or vile, if you have King James person, who has not been given the honor of royalty. This is Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, he will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue. Okay, Antiochus Epiphanes is a guy that has no um, blood right to the throne. Usually the king dies, one of his sons take over or his grandsons or somebody, and a brother. This guy is such a swindler, such a con man. He bribes people, he um, flatters them and pays people off and becomes the king. Um, and when the people feel secure, he invades the kingdom, it says, and he'll seize it through intrigue. So as we said, this is Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means basically uh, an image of God himself. This guy has the biggest ego ever, we'll find out. He's been mentioned earlier in Daniel. This is a restatement in some ways. Um, let's see, we already, uh, Seleucius III is his other name, but you don't really need to know that. Um, uh, let's see. So he flatters Eumenes, the king of Pergamus, and Attalus, his brother. He gets their, insistent, uh, their assistance. He flatters the Romans, gets them to help him, and the Syrians. So Antiochus Epiphanes literally means God manifest. The Jews hated him so much, they nicknamed him Antiochus Epimenes, which means the madman, Epimenes, because it was sort of a play on words. Um, okay, and he even put um, Epiphanes Theos on coins, which means that he was God with his picture. Verse 22, <clears throat> then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him, both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. So what happens is, um, verse 22, um, he first has success in Egypt in a battle. He wins. Um, but um, he, he generally took over countries by catching people off guard, come in all peacefully, make friends, give gifts, give money. And then when everybody's relaxed, 
He says the word, the army comes in and slaughters everybody. Just a real nice guy. Anyway, typical politician in 2021. Amen. Okay. Did I say that? All right. So um, he swept away the high priest Onias, O-N-I-A-S, the third. Here he's called the Prince of the Covenant. Um, he gets paid off by another guy and, and they have him killed, the high priest. So he's kind of meddling in Jewish affairs. That's why he's in this portion of scripture. Um, verse 23, after coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully and will, with only a few people, he will rise to power. Um, so that's exactly what happens. Um, he makes an alliance with Ptolemy the sixth in 170 BC. Keep in mind, this is all written hundreds of years before it occurs. Unbelievable accuracy because God is not only seeing it in advance, but making it happen, if you will. Um, so um, he so he makes an alliance with him and then overtakes him. Antichrist allows in the future the Jews to come back to Israel and sacrifice again and build a temple. And then halfway through the seven-year tribulation, we remember from Daniel 9, he breaks his covenant, stops worship, and Antichrist steps into the, temp the Jewish temple saying, I'm God, it's time to worship me and not your God. We'll get to that. That's coming in the text tonight. Verse 24, when the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He'll distribute plunder loot and wealth among his followers. He is a guy that spreads the wealth around, keep people rich, kind of a Bernie Madoff kind of a guy, keep people uh, fat and sassy and wealthy, and they'll stay with you. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. Um, obviously, God's the one that's limiting his uh, time. So he sort of looks like Robin Hood at first spreading the wealth around, uh, stealing it from others, taking it from others. So um, let's see. Verse 25, with a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. Uh, the king of the south, that's generally, not always, but generally it's Egypt. Um, the king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army. I'm in verse 25, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. So this is the, the second campaign against Egypt. Um, and what happens is Egypt has had it with this guy and asks for the help of Rome, which is sort of an up and coming power. It's not the Roman empire at this time yet. And Rome decides to help him. We'll get to that in a second. So, um, Let's see, the king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, that's the Romans, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Verse 26, those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him and his army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. Verse 26, um, so some of his own troops also plot to destroy him. Um, eventually his army suffers defeat in Egypt, as I said, and they kind of leave licking their wounds and going home. The two kings, verse 27, with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table. This is the Egyptian king and Antiochus Epiphanes sit at a table to sort of negotiate a peace agreement. They are both full of it. 
They're both lying through their teeth, promising things. Neither one of them keeps their promise. That's what actually happened. Um, the two kings with their heart bent on evil will sit at the same table to lie to one another, but to no avail because an end will still come at the appointed time. You get the feeling God's hand is on the whole situation, and it is. Verse 28. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. When you read that, the holy city, the holy covenant, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jerusalem. Um, heart set against the holy covenant. He'll take action against it and then return to his own country. More than once, Antiochus Epiphanes, when he loses in a battle, this was a pattern for him, very strange. He would come to Israel and take out his aggression, his anger about losing on the Jews. And that's exactly, this is the second time it's happened. That's what happens uh, here. So uh, let's see. Uh, forgot to turn the page. Verse 28, hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm still figuring it out. Oh, um, so there's a Jew named Jason who tells Antiochus, you know, I'd like to be high priest. Okay, that was an office that was very serious and was very much a ancestry sort of a thing. This guy wants to be a high priest. Jason is his name. Um, he knows that Antiochus is kind of slimy, so he offers him a bribe to get rid of that Oneus guy, the high priest we spoke of. So um, that's exactly what happened. Um, Oneus, of course, objected and they killed him. Um, well, we already tried that. But this Jason guy tried, tried to, uh, to start a revolution against Antiochus. And that's when Antiochus uh, really got angry, came back to Jerusalem, killed 80,000 men and uh, desecrated the temple, 168 BC. Verse 29, um, at the appointed time, he'll invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands, verse 30. Um, some translations have ships of Chittim, C-H-I-T-T-I-M, which is another name for Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean near Italy, if you know where that is. Uh, not Italy, but Cyprus. I know you know where Italy is. Anyway, um, they ask the Romans for help, and the Romans send a fleet of ships. The Romans actually have a navy, which he, Antiochus, does not have. So he invades the south, but this time it's different. Ships of the western coastlands, verse 30, oppose him. He will lose heart. Then he'll turn back and vent his fury. There it is again, against the holy covenant. He'll return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. He comes to Israel, again, does some destruction and finds that there are some Jews who are um, Jews in name only. They say, we're on your side. We want to end Judaism. So he makes an alliance with them, Antiochus does. Um, and because um, they're kind of fakers as far as Judaism go, apostate Jews. So he gets support from them. Um, he takes his frustration out on the Jews again, favored the renegade Jews who don't believe. Um, so let's see, I think we covered that. Verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. This is exactly what 
the Antichrist does. Um, they stop, he stops the daily sacrifice. He actually puts a, a, a bunch of troops around the temple, prevents Jews from going in there to pray, to make sacrifices, to do circumcisions, to do any kind of blessing or prayer. Um, then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. You've seen that term before, haven't you? Jesus mentions it in Matthew 24, speaking of the Antichrist in the end times. An abomination is an, un, I'm going to translate, an unbelievably evil thing that creates, because of how evil it is, desolation, okay? So it is some act of extreme blasphemy that Antiochus Epiphanes does that is similar to the Antichrist, okay? This is pretty unbelievable. So in, in his anger with the Jews, um, he, at first there's guards around the temple, nobody can worship, stops the sacrifice. On one Sabbath, he sends his soldiers into the city and he slaughters all the children they can find. Then he slaughters um, most of the women and he makes heathen idolatry, pagan idolatry, mandatory. It's not an option. You have to worship the pagan idols. This is a weird one. Then he has nakedness because the Jews are pious and they would, wouldn't do that. How many know that the Greek Olympic games in that era, when men, sorry, ladies, when men uh, participated in the various Olympic sports, they participated, wait for it, naked. You mean with little shorts? No, I mean naked. And so he makes uh, the idolatry mandatory. He has nakedness flaunted by supposed athletes just as a way of desecrating Judaism completely. Then it gets worse. He enforces J Greek culture on the Jews. He erects a statue of the Greeks' main god, Zeus. How many have heard of Zeus? He erects a statue of the main god, Zeus, of the Greeks in the temple in Jerusalem, okay? This is the abomination that causes desolation. He finds out that the Jews have dietary laws, and you can't, if you're a Jew, eat pork, right? Pigs, bacon, pork chops, off limits, right? I could never be a Jew for that reason. Anyway, he slays a pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, um, makes forces the high pre the priests to eat the pork the non-kosher food so that's the abomination he sprinkles the blood around he um uh let's see S some of these secular jews were in on it with him and they loved to see judaism go away kind of thing so he eventually plundered the temple burned the city trying to exterminate Judaism. You know how many times that's happened. He even burned some of their scrolls with the copies of the Old Testament books, if you will. Um, let's see. By the way, this has happened before. King Ahaz in 2 Kings set up an idolatrous altar. King Manasseh installed images of pagan gods. This has happened again and again, um, and it, it won't be the last time. We'll talk about Antichrist in a second. Uh, let's see. He also ordered that from now on, on his birthday, a pig was to be sacrificed every year on the Jewish altar just to stick it to the Jews. Um, let's see. 
Matthew 24. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, and the Antichrist. I'm just reading my notes. Um, another abomination of desolation was in 70 AD when the Romans took over the temple, burned it to the ground, and then took it apart stone by stone. You remember all that? So there's been several abominations. The ultimate one is still future. It's Antichrist being in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Uh, mandatory worship, if you will. Uh, let's see. Verse 32. Did we do 31? Yes. <clears throat> Verse 32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God, this is an interesting verse, will firmly resist him. Okay. So there are Jews who are willing to go along with him because he flatters them, probably bribing them. He's corrupting some Jews, but the Jews who really know the Old Testament know that this is not right, and they're not willing to compromise, just like Daniel. I believe that if we are alive, and as Christians, when the end times really get here, a seven-year tribulation, Antichrist ruling the entire earth, according to Revelation 13, I believe Two things. I believe your, yours and my unsaved friends will say, isn't that guy the greatest? He's going to stop the wars, feed the poor, create peace, one world government. He's going to just be charismatic, a, a military leader that nobody dares um, try to take on for the most part. Revelation 13 is the Antichrist chapter even more than this. I think you and I, because we have the Holy Spirit, will say, no, we don't think he's great. Can't you tell he's evil, right? Because we have discernment, the Holy Spirit, nothing in and of ourselves, I think we'll be able to sense this guy's absolutely evil and will not take his mark on the hand of the forehead. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, let's see, verse 33, those who are wise, that's the ones in the previous verse who know their God, that firmly resist him. Notice, we are supposed to obey our leaders, Romans 13 and elsewhere. Are there any exceptions? Yes, it's in the book of Acts. It's either chapter four or five, I always get it mixed up. So it's one of those two. Peter and the other apostles are arrested for preaching the gospel. Do you remember that? And the leaders say, they have them beaten and they say, don't preach this gospel, this Jesus thing anymore. And Peter says, basically, sorry, we must obey God rather than men. The exception to obeying the government is when the government says you can't read your Bible, you can't own a Bible, you can't go to church, you can't go to Bible study, you can't pray, you can't worship Jesus Christ, you can't even say his name. There's to an extent this is beginning to happen in American schools for the last 40 or 50 years, where the name of Jesus Christ in school formerly taught, by the way, is now like a four-letter word. You can get in trouble, right? And yet they teach Islam and other religions, right? Isn't that interesting? Um, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, folks. I hope I'm wrong. Um, so um, I want you to notice that the people who really know their God, okay, now, there's a sense we can know God generally by creation, Romans 1, right? 
Um, you can look at the sky and the stars and a baby being born and olives on a tree and go, this couldn't have just happened. There must be a God, general terms. You with me so far? But we get to know God through the book we're studying. And I don't mean Daniel, I mean the Bible, all 66 books, right? These people knew the scriptures. They didn't have some esoteric, oh, God's in the trees and the rocks and view of God, new agey view of God. They knew the God of the Bible, what he likes and what he doesn't like. He's told us in his word. Amen. Everything we're supposed to know, we know through his word. That's why we need to know his word even more uh, as these times approach. Those who are wise will instruct, teach many, though for a time they'll fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. So there's persecution for believers. Should we allow that to stop us? Absolutely not, right? Um, so um, teaching others uh, through Zoom, maybe, who knows? Verse, uh, verse 34, when they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Okay, what's that? Remember the parable about the tares and the wheat? The tares look just like the wheat, but they're fake wheat. There are people in churches today, pastors on Christian TV and radio that say they're Christian, but they preach a gospel that's to tickle people's ears, let them hear what they want to hear, greatly watered down. My wife and I use the term Christianity light, L-I-T-E. You ever had, you ever seen Pepsi light, Bud light, Budweiser light? You know what it is? It's water, watered down Budweiser. It's watered down Pepsi. There's such a thing as watered down Christianity where we don't preach sin here or hell. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. If your lifestyle's different than what the Bible says, that's okay. We're not judgmental. We just love everybody. And we also love money. So we'd like to get our buildings full so we can build bigger buildings and make more money. So donate now so God will give you more money. There's a guy whose initials are J-O on TV who blinks a lot, and he just loves money. And you can, his initials are Joel Osteen, right? Oh, did I slip and say his name? It's all positive thinking, and you can have anything you want. Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. My best life is not now. I'm sorry. My best life is future with the Lord. Amen. Your best life now, you can be rich and wealthy if you'll just speak reality. Okay, I'm done with that. All right. I don't know how he can do it. He's a great speaker. You ever see him? No notes, no teleprompter. He just has it down. But unfortunately, it's counterfeit Christianity. Beware. Uh, let's see. I got off on a tangent there, didn't I? Um, verse 35, some of the wise will stumble. Why? So that they may be, look, this is the key verse in this whole chapter, 35. Say amen so I know you're awake. Amen. Some of the, the wise, the believers will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white is literally how it reads in the Hebrew, made spotless, uh, NIV has, until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. That sentence looks back and gives you a summary and looks forward. Notice it talks about the end time of the end or end times. Did you notice that in verse 35? So that 
uh, it will still come at the appointed time, God's time. Okay, what's going on here? God's whole purpose for the great tribulation, for all of the pain and the suffering that the Jews have gone through, is not just because he's a mean God and likes to see people suffer. On the other hand, his reason is always to refine them, purify them, okay? If you look at statistics of world history, okay, a graph of the growth or slump of numbers of Christians, do you know what you'll find? Categorically, this is true. The numbers of people becoming Christians, becoming saved, true believers in the Lord Jesus, goes through the roof when there's times of tribulation, when there's scary times, war, pestilence, COVID, whatever it may be. Do you remember 9-11? Okay, September 11th, 20, 2001. For three months, churches tripled, quadrupled. Everybody's afraid. Oh, no. And you guess what? Then they just kind of leveled off and went back to the numbers before. But in times of trouble, God is using that trouble to make people look up. And that's what the Great Tribulation is about to a great extent. All of these tribulations are about that. Keep in mind, broader context of Daniel now, okay? Daniel, in the last chapter, is shocked because the 70 years predicted by Jeremiah for Israel to be in captivity in Babylon, he knows it's about over. Maybe it's another year. Maybe it's already over. Yay. Now we all get to go back to Israel, rebuild the country, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and we can be like it was before. And he's shocked to find out in the earlier chapters of Daniel, no, this is just the beginning. Why? Because Israel had become so pagan, Jews going through the motions of their faith, not believing, not obeying God compromising with the neighboring countries and the neighboring cultures and half-heartedly becoming, you know, wannabe Jews, but not really serious about their faith. God wants to purify them, okay? Why have the Jews throughout history had this happen? I just told you why for the Old Testament times, okay? But the real cause comes around 30 A.D., when Jesus Christ shows up as their Messiah, clearly showing that he's the Messiah, right? Fits the profile perfectly of the Old Testament prophecies. And yet, what do they say? Most of them crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. There's a point in one of the gospels, I think it's Matthew, where, um, uh, I think it's Pontius Pilate is talking, or the, or the Jews are talking, I think, and the high priest says about Jesus, we got to kill this guy. Let his blood be on us and on our descendants. Ouch. That's maybe the worst thing you could say. Let's kill this Jesus Christ and his blood, the, the guilt of that blood being shed let it be on us and on our descendants. Listen, the Jews have been persecuted by the Hittites, by the Hitlers. Uh, all through history, they've been persecuted. There's a name for it called anti-Semitism. How many have heard of that? It means hatred of Jews. The Jews, a little country the size of New Jersey, basically, 
size-wise, are surrounded by Arab countries, Muslim countries that for the most part can't wait to see them obliterated, right? Iran has that goal. The Russians hate the Jews. Until recently, Saudi Arabia hated the Jews. Now they're sort of playing nice. We'll see what happens. My wife and I went to uh, Egypt to see our son who was studying there, Arabic. And um, I, I, we're going through a gift shop and I see a globe, a beautiful globe made, up, made out of, I don't know, marble or something with all the countries there. Okay, and I look and I see, oh, Egypt, there's Egypt labeled. And right next door, there's Israel, the only country on the globe without a label. So I said, he, the guy comes over, an Arab, a Jew, I'm sorry, a, uh, a Muslim. And I said, why is Israel not labeled here? And, and he said, we don't recognize. And another time we were in a cab, Muslim guy, and I said, you know, we're very surprised to see, because this was about 2007, after 2001, 9-11, surprised to see how friendly um, you Egyptians are, being Muslims, to us Americans. And the guy flat out turned around in his cab and said, oh, we love the Americans, we hate the Jews. Just like, wow. And I said, why? And he said, not their land. There's an inborn hatred for Jews around the world. In the end, the tribulation, philipsis in Greek means crushing, okay? Pressure. Um, and God will put the pressure on to the max in the great tribulation to the point where Jews will have nowhere to look but up, and they will see their Messiah was Jesus Christ all along. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but a little background. Anyway, um, we already talked about that. Let's see. Are we up to verse 35? We are. Uh, and we talked about that. Some of the wise will stumble. All so that. Why all this suffering? Why all this? They just desecrated the temple again. So that they'll be refined. Okay. So that they'll be purified. How many know that when you have a substance you took out of the ground that is part gold, you refine it in fire, the fire burns off the dross, the other stuff, and the gold remains. That's what he's doing with the Jews, both in each individual life and in groups of Jews where 80% are fakers and 20% really truly believe he's burning off the 80%. Shall we move on? How many are totally confused? Is it just me? All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. I'm, I'm behind on my notes here. Uh, we already talked about that. Yeah, I already, I just mentioned that. Okay, verse 36. Now, most scholars say this is transitional, meaning some of this stuff still has to do with Antiochus Epiphanes, the madman. But really the transition is in verse 35 until the what? Time of the end, the end times. This is going to talk about the Antichrist, a future one world ruler who will be a man, great um, military ability, great speaking ability, charismatic, um, brilliantly smart, and will also be indwelt by Satan. Satan gives him his power, charisma, the words to fool 
the nations. Verse 36, the king will do as he pleases, okay? He, as he wills. This is one of the names for Antichrist is the willful king. He does whatever he wants, okay? Uh, he will exalt and magnify himself above every God. Imagine that. And will say unheard of things against the God of gods, meaning the God of the Bible. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. There's the hand of God, right? Has to. It's been determined. So he'll do as he pleases. Now, nobody does as they please, okay? Because to do as you please, you'd have to have absolute power right? Because everybody's got a boss or somebody they're afraid of. And this guy takes over the whole world. Revelation 13, Matthew 24, becomes a one world leader and does as he pleases, literally to the point where he can exalt himself and magnify himself. Talk about an ego. Notice this above every God. So that's not just the God of the Bible, not just Jesus Christ. He's going to say, I'm above Allah, I'm above all the 330 million Hindu gods. I'm above Buddha. I'm above Confucius. I'm above everybody. I am the greatest, right? Muhammad Ali, but he's really going to meet it, mean it. He will be successful. He'll say unheard of things against the God of God, just absolute blasphemy. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. The great tribulation, now we've skipped forward thousands of years, future, we don't know when it'll be, could start next week, could be a thousand years from now, who knows, no man knows the day or the hour, but the tribulation is a time, listen, of wrath, doubly, you say, what do you mean, I mean this, in the tribulation, God is pouring out wrath on unbelieving humanity, okay, which he has every right to do, because they have thumbed their nose at God, right? He's pouring out wrath on the earth because the earth is worshiping the Antichrist, not him. But it's also a time of wrath opposite, where the Antichrist is taking out his wrath on not all the people that took the mark who believe in him and say, yes, you're God, on those who don't, Christians, Jews, believers, okay? Double wrath, God's wrath down, Antichrist's, Antichrist's wrath outward. That's what's going on. Almost time to take our two-minute break. I know you're excited about that. Um, in this chapter, there are 135 prophetic statements, by the way, uh, and up to this point, they've all been fulfilled. Pretty amazing, right? Show me another religious book that gets it this right. Um, so there's Antichrist. We're getting more of his resume, if you will. Uh, verse 37. This is interesting. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women or for the desire of women. We'll talk about that. Nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. The reason this can't be Antiochus Epiphanes is he did regard a god. He put up a statue of who? Himself? No, Zeus in the Jewish temple. Remember? This guy, whatever his ancestry is, he has no regard for the gods, the people before him of his ancestry believed. Most scholars think the Antichrist, listen, is 
Roman Empire. Okay. Does it mean he's Italian necessarily? No. European, maybe. Um, there are scholars that think he'll be a Jew and won't believe in the God of his ancestors that way. There's some that think he's a Russian. There's all kinds of theories. The majority opinion is um, Roman Empire. Um, let's take our two-minute break. I'll, when we get back, remind me, I'll show you the Roman Empire, why that's believed. Don't go away. I'm going to turn off my camera for two minutes just so we can stretch our legs. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. <laughs> Find your seats, those of you that are here, and we'll get underway. We are back in Daniel chapter 11, um, talking about the Antichrist. There are other places where he's um, spoken of. Turn quickly with me to Daniel 9, and I'll show you why people think he's a Roman, Roman Empire, uh, um, uh, or from Italy, something like that. Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. We spent a long time on this. I won't go through the whole thing with you. The 77s. 69 of them come, seven-year period. 69 of them, 483 years, from when an order is given to rebuild Jerusalem, and Messiah shows up. It turns out that is um, Palm Sunday. Messiah shows, Jesus shows up and says, here I am riding on a donkey, fulfilling a scripture in Zechariah. Um, let's see. Uh, after the 62 seven, look at verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, that's Messiah, will be karat in Hebrew. It means killed, cut off and have nothing. So after he shows up, really, it's like four or five days later, right? From Palm Sunday to Friday when they kill him. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The ruler who is to come is the Antichrist. Okay. So who destroys the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD class? The Romans. Okay. So from this verse, it's pretty clear. The people of the ruler who will come, the Roman empire, so that he, that's his people, Come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Um, and then half, let's see, verse 27, he'll confirm a covenant with the many, that's the Jews, for one seven. He lets the Jews sacrifice and worship again. Let them rebuild the temple the whole bit. Uh, but halfway through, in the middle of the seven-year period, that's the tribulation. He'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. Same thing, just like Antiochus Epiphanes, but worse. Instead of putting up Zeus, in the temple, look, and on a wing of the temple, he'll set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. In Second uh, Thessalonians, Paul says he'll show himself in the temple of God that he is God. That's the abomination that he does. Go back to Daniel 11 with me. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, that's pretty good. And those of you on Zoom, say amen. Beautiful. All right. Um, the king's gonna, the willful king exalts himself above every God. By the way, 2 Thessalonians, we did this two weeks ago, I won't do it again, says about the Antichrist that he will perform lying signs and wonders so that he can summon fire down from heaven. Translation, miracles. Phony miracles, satanic miracles, I don't know. But believe me, the unsaved world wants to see the magic. Show me the sign. 
right? Billy Graham, we were just talking about him, Bob and I, powerful preacher of the word. Everything I've read about him, he was the real deal. How many miracles did he do? None, right? I mean, signs and wonders kind of thing. The miracle is millions of people came to faith, amen? But that's a God thing. This guy will prove he's God by doing miracles, signs from heaven, um, summoning fire from heaven. In Revelation 13, there's a curious verse where it says, one of his heads will be wounded, remember, with a fatal wound. How bad is a fatal wound? Bad. It's fatal. And then he comes back to life, a, re a fake resurrection. This guy will um, encourage people to worship him because he's going to say, where's your Jesus? Where's your Muhammad? Where's your Allah? Where's your God, Yahweh of the Old Testament? I'm here. I'm the creator. I'm Jesus. I'm everything you want in a God and more. So uh, verse 37, no regard for the gods of his ancestors. Unlike Antiochus, he's just, I'm the God. Okay, the next phrase, or for the desire of women. Okay, now you know me and I tell you the truth. When I know what something means based on the majority opinion, I tell you. Okay, there's three or four theories about this phrase. Okay, he has no, notice it in context. Um, it says he has no regard for some things. One of them is the gods of his ancestors. You got that? So if he's a Roman, it would be the Christian God, right? No regard for that or Roman pagan gods from before that. But the next thing he has no regard for is the desire of women. Okay, majority opinion. The Antichrist will be a homosexual. No regard for the desire of women. Doesn't care about that. His desire is for power. Is that true? I don't know. Okay. Very strong opinion from a lot of good scholars. You're going to hear this and go, you got that from this verse? No regard for the desire of women. Okay. There, there is in Judaism, okay, the desire of all women, their desire, the women, okay, stay with me on this, would be to um, have children. Okay, you with me so far? They wanted to have children. Doesn't mean you're, if you're, ladies, if you didn't have children, doesn't mean you're any less of a woman. God has other things for all of us to do. I've never had a child. I'm not a woman. Anyway, um, the desire of all women was to have children. Follow me on this. But the desire of all women was to be the one chosen to mother the Messiah. Okay, do you understand? So the desire of all women was the Messiah, in a sense, as their son. Okay, so some scholars, quite a few, think he's talking here about Jesus Christ. Um, he'll have no regard. Notice the context. It's a sandwich, if you will. And this phrase, desire of women, is the meat. The bread is on top. It's no desire for the, uh, no regard for the gods of his ancestors, God's theology with me. Skip the desire for women and go to the next phrase. But he will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a God of we're still on the subject of gods. So it might be that he has no regard for the God 
of his ancestors, no regard for the desire of women, meaning Jesus Christ, the desire of women. Do you remember when Jesus is um, ministering on the earth, a woman approaches him and says, blessed are the breasts that nursed you. Do you remember that? That's that Hebrewism, that thing for Jewish women of saying, of all the women of the world, some woman, your mom was picked, Jesus, Mary, right? You're highly favored. Remember the angel tells her, you're the one. Blessed are the breasts that nursed you, right? By the way, do you know what Jesus replies to that? Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. It's not about Mary, about any woman, any man that hears the word of God, something like that, I'm paraphrasing. Anyway, no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the desire of women. Um, now, NIV has the one desired by women, which is slanting toward being Jesus. Some say he'll be a homosexual. I don't know. Um, uh, there's even a theory that he'll be abusive to women. I don't know where they get that. But anyway, nor will he regard any God. See, the subject matter seems to be theology. Any God, but will exalt himself above them all. Now, in a normal society, if somebody shows up and says, I'm really great, don't you already think, what an idiot, right? Uh, in the, I was... I performed in the music world for many, many years. And when we needed a substitute performer, you know, we a guitar player sick. And so they'd say, call this guy, call Larry. If I called Larry and said, um, we might need a guitar player. And he, if Larry said to me, I'm really good. Musicians know that means no, you're not. Right? Right, Jeff? Would you ever say, I'm really good. Come on. The good musicians don't say that. Any person that says, I'm great, you'd already be like, who is this guy? But imagine a guy that says, I'm not just great. I am God. You would think people would be repulsed by that kind of an insane thing to say, an insane ego. Instead, they're like, he's the one. The miracles, the peace, he's unbeatable in battle. He's the world leader. He's changed everything for the better. He's our guy. That's the delusion, isn't it, of being unsaved. They don't have what you have, the Holy Spirit, which will say, no, this, this ain't right. Okay. Uh, he'll exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, verse 38, he will honor a God of fortresses. A God unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. What's a God of fortresses? How many know that you can make a God out of anything, right? A lot of people make a God out of beauty or out of money or out of sex or out of fame or out of drugs or out of whatever, okay? It's possible to make a God out of political and military power, absolute power, and he has it. That's his God, this verse is saying. He spends his money on, not women, not giving to godly causes or to donating to the church or the Jewish temple. This guy honors this God of fortresses, this military thing with his money and silver. You know, you put your money where your mouth is, don't you? It's been said, if you want to know what somebody's God is, you say, let me see your checkbook and let me see your calendar. What do you spend your time and money on? 
the most. Well, I go to church on Sunday for an hour. And, okay, but what else do you do? Well, I, I golf five days a week. Nothing. Golf's not a sin, but anything to excess is a sin. Okay. Um, verse 39. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He's willing to use religion. Um, this could be, by the way, of Revelation 17, um, where there is the, um, the, the whore of Babylon. We won't go into that now. A lot of people think it's the Catholic Church, believe it or not. I won't go into that now. Um, let's see. By the way, there are people that think that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist. Seventh-day Adventists, many hold that view, not all. Um, he will attack the mightiest forces with help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. Just like Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he's willing to give great gifts and money to people who acknowledge him. He'll greatly honor them. He'll make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Can it kind of divvy up land and you're on my side? You get North Dakota or whatever you, I really like you, you get Florida or whatever, Hawaii is what I would like. Anyway, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, we already talked about that. The God of his fathers. I'm catching up on my notes. Sorry. Um, mm -hmm. uh, let's see. The mightiest fortresses. Yeah. Um, he'll make them rulers. Yeah. He's going to distribute the the power, giving away land and money. Okay. Sidebar. I don't, I can't push this that heavily. Just a theory I have. Many, most of you have read Revelation 13, where the Antichrist is said to control world business, banking, commerce, to the point no one ever has, where if you don't have his mark on your right hand or your forehead, you can't buy or sell anything. Meaning you can't work. You can't have a bank account. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't get gas for your car. You can't probably own property. You with me so far? I personally think some people will jump at the chance. Give me the mark. Yes. I want to be able to buy and sell. My family's going to starve. I believe you're the, you're the Lord anyway, right? But a lot of people, Westerners, it's creepy. Don't you think? But imagine if you're broke because the banks have all gone bust and the incentive is under the category of distributing land and giving out gifts. Imagine if he says, look, you can starve if you don't want to take the mark on your hand or your forehead. But if you do, since it's just numbers in a computer, I'll start you off at $500,000. What are you going to do? You and I, the answer better be, I'm not going to do it. Because the Bible teaches that all who take the mark of the beast, hand, forehead, are destined for hell. There is no, I took the mark, but I didn't really mean it, God, you know. I'm just trying to feed my family. Wrong. That's the compromise God will not allow. That is an allegiance to the Antichrist in such a way that says, basically, you're my God. You're my provider. Not for me. I'd rather starve, wouldn't you? I'm coming to your house. You, you have good food over there. Okay. Now that I've bummed everybody out, let's keep rolling, shall we? Um, at the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. These are 
ancient terms for what may be modern warfare. Um, let's see. So there's going to be an attempt to overthrow him. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. That word is used in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Daniel 9, in that passage we read, for the armies that overtake Jerusalem like a flood. They just come in and take it over. Same with him. People try to um, beat him. They can't. Uh, he'll invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. That's a euphemism in the Bible for Israel. Okay. He'll invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall. This is strange, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered. Now, this is almost certainly the area, strangely, I don't know why, of Jordan. Um, for some reason, they're not, they're exempt for some reason. It's mostly Muslim country, by the way, uh, that area. Um, to the east and south of Israel, Jordan occupies this reason, uh, region, at least today. Um, so he's going to extend his power, verse 42, over many countries. Egypt will not escape. By the way, Revelation 13 says he had, it, it exercises power over the entire world. And Revelation 13 makes the point so you, we don't miss it. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every there's all these terms for to let you know it's not just some localized, he controls Latin America, it's the whole world. Verse 43, he will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But verse 44, but reports from the east and the north will alarm him. In other words, revolution against him. And he will set out in great rage to destroy and annihilate many. In the tribulation, if you total up everything in the Bible, Daniel, um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, especially Revelation, Matthew 24, I keep referring to, the time of the tribulation, half of the human race alive at that time dies, half. It starts with a quarter, and then it's a third of the remainder. A quarter would leave 75%. A third of that is another 25. Half of humanity dies in the tribulation. Jesus calls it the great tribulation, a time of suffering like there's never been before, nor ever will be again. Do you remember? Um, okay, we digress. Um, he, verse 45. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful mountain. Israel is between the seas, um, uh, Mediterranean and the, I believe it's the Red Sea. <clears throat> Pitches tents at the, between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. The temple is on the temple mount, right? That's what is thought by the beautiful holy mountain. Um, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. That's when Christ returns. Second coming is what destroys um, Antichrist. Um, let's see. It appears from verse 45, he will make his headquarters, world headquarters in Jerusalem of all places. You would think Rome, New York, London, LA, I don't know, Beijing, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an interesting city. I've never been there. How many have been there? Anybody been there? Okay, here's what's weird. 
almost every major city, if you think about it, is a port. They're on the ocean or they're on some great river. Jerusalem is inland. It's strange that of all cities, Jerusalem is predicted to become the city for the whole world, a cup of trembling. Everybody's going to want Jerusalem, and he's got it, the Antichrist. Of course, Antichrist has it. You say, why? Of course, because three major, the three major world religions claim Jerusalem, right? Christianity, certainly. Judaism. How many know? Islam. It's a holy city where the temple was, the, the, the temple mount. Right now, there's a big gold-domed building. How many know that? Have you, you guys have seen it because you've been there, right? You know what it is? It's a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock. Gold top. It's like almost too bright to look at at certain times of the day with the sun. That prevents the Jews from building their temple. Now, either that building's got to go away if they rebuild their temple, or there's a theory that the real location of the temple is not there. It's to the north. I can't remember. It's not that far, a mile or something. And they're preparing to build the temple there. I don't know what it'll be, um, but just kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. Verse, okay, we're done with chapter 11. Thank God. I agree with John MacArthur. Um, tough chapter. Um, let's see. A couple things. Um, when wicked men rule, believers should expect to suffer. Okay? To the extent that in our country, we call what we have persecution, Christians in other countries would laugh at that. Oh, they make fun of you. Oh, that's sad. My sister got her head chopped off and they killed my brother with a firing squad. A lot of nations, you get caught with a Bible. That's it. You're done, right? Jail or prison. In those countries where Christianity is persecuted, growth explodes. Christianity, sorry, most of us live in the U.S. here. One person doesn't, but they're from the U.S. Friends of ours that live in Vanuatu are on Zoom. Most of the U.S., um, in most of the U.S., Christianity numbers are on the decline. Church attendance on the decline. Not even because of COVID, before COVID, it was already on the decline. My, our church here is not up to the numbers we had pre-COVID. Getting there, not quite. People are staying home. They're afraid, whatever the case may be. Um, but in Africa, in China, where it's illegal... Christianity is growing. So the weird thing is, when evil men are in power, the saints should expect to suffer and to see huge growth in the gospel. Um, some people only look up when there's nowhere else to look. Amen? When they're in great need. We Americans, fat and sassy, some more than others, um, and we have abundance, right? A third of the world today doesn't know what they're going to eat tomorrow. I don't mean what they're going to eat like they don't know what it'll be the ham, the turkey, the beef, or the chicken. I mean, they don't have any food. They're living day to day. They're just not sure. A third of the world. Does anybody here go home and think, wow, we have no, not even mustard in the fridge. Give me a break. I'll loan you some mustard if that's the case. Okay. Um, 
the godly will be persecuted and some will be put to death. That's Revelation 13, 10 and 13, 15. Some will be captured, some will be killed, but I'd rather die for Jesus than live for an antichrist, amen? At the time this all happens, if you're wondering, will I wimp out? Okay, I, I wonder that. Just my family's starving and friends of mine are starving and maybe I could be the one to take the number and I'll get food for the others. And Listen, you have the Holy Spirit. He will make you so uncomfortable when you try to do that. You won't be able, I believe you won't be able to do it. You'll know the truth. You'll go, God will provide and he will. Amen. Um, we already talked about that. I think we're done with chapter 11 and we really should have a party. All right, chapter 12, we still have a little bit of time. Um, this is a, a the closing, the climax of the revelation of the whole book of Daniel, chapter 12. And what he's highlighting is his faith, God's faithfulness to Israel. Um, there's been all kinds of, all we've heard, let's face it, if you're Jewish at Daniel's time, or even now, and you're hearing all this, from chapter seven on, it's been one bummer after the other, right? Chapter 12 is the good news, okay? And chapter 12 is, he could have ended this book at chapter 11, and it just would have been one of those movies where you go, what was the point of that? I'm more bummed than when I paid my $11 and walked in, or whatever it is, $9. Okay, so the news of Daniel is the chastening, the discipline, the purging, the purification of the Jews is not over yet, okay? The message of chapter 12 is, when it is, it's awesome, okay? Same for you and me as Christians. So this is for them and for us as well. Um, we already talked about that. He's testing them. He's purging them to make them white. So here's the hope chapter is what John MacArthur calls it. I love that. Um, let's dive in, shall we? I'm just reading my introduction. I think I've beat the dead horse. Yes, I have. Okay, verse one. At that time, wait, what time? We've been talking about the end times, the time of Antichrist, not afterwards. During that time, Michael, the great prince, that's the archangel, who protects your people, will rise up will arise, okay? There's only two angels mentioned by name in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. Michael, the name means Mikael, one who is like God, or who is like God, no one. Um, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He's gonna rise up. You say, why? Because it's the most intense time of persecution for the Jews. Who else but Michael would rise up and go, hey, they're persecuting my people. You'd rise up too. He will arise. Here it comes. Just like Jesus says, there will be a time of distress, tribulation, thalipsis, pressure, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Okay? So that puts in perspective. If you're a Jew, you'd say, look, the Holocaust, World War II, Hitler, six million at least Jews killed Come on, that was the worst. He's saying oh, that, that's going to look like a picnic compared to this. Um, one of the, oh, I was telling Ken, and I can't, it's in my notes somewhere. I think it's Jeremiah says two-thirds of the Jews die in the tribulation and one-third 
are, are saved and, and find their Messiah. Um, Zechariah talks about it too. Okay, we need some good news, Daniel. Dish it. Time of great distress. Michael's arising. But at that time, your people, he's talking to Daniel, he's talking to the Jews, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say if you're delivered, God will write your name in the book. That's backwards. It says everybody that's got a name written in the book, which implies your name was written in the book thousands of decades ago, right? Billions of years ago. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He wrote your name down before you, your grandmother didn't even exist. Pretty a beautiful thing. Everyone whose name, who's found written in the book, will be delivered. Does that mean every single Jew alive at that time? No, I already told you, most will still not believe. Two-thirds will be killed in the time of the tribulation. But they'll be delivered, okay? Saved, ransomed. Zechariah talks about it, and he says that the day is coming when they, the Jews, will look on the one they have pierced. Okay, but God is speaking in that verse and he says they will look on me whom they've pierced. Meaning what? That the guy they pierced was God himself. Mind blowing. And they'll mourn for him like one mourns for an only son. They'll understand, oh, Jesus Christ was the Messiah all along. Today, there are Jews that believe that. Not a lot, but there are Messianic Jews who believe it. I know some. It's in a way the coolest kind of thing when they realize it. Um, so is that it? They'll just be delivered? Look at verse two. Many multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. What does that mean? It means they died. How many will? Many multitudes. This is resurrection in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, you thought resurrection was just for Christians. First Corinthians 15, you're wrong. Many or multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, it's a metaphor for death, will awake. Oh, that's great. Some to eternal or everlasting life. Wow. Awesome. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. Oh, let's cross that out. That shouldn't be in there. What are you talking about? There's a res resurrection. There's actually two resurrections. If you read Revelation 20, the, ri the righteous rise when Christ returns, okay? The unrighteous ri rise at the end of a thousand-year millennium. Yes, I believe in a literal thousand-year millennium. In six verses in <laughs> Revelation 20, I talked to Pastor Bob today about this. In six verses in Revelation 20, seven times it says, Thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. That means a thousand years. Don't try to spiritualize it. It just means a long time. John could have said a long time. It's a thousand years. Okay. Um, some rise to everlasting life. It literally means eternal life for eons and eons. There's eternal life in the Old Testament. I love it. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. What word is in that verse twice? Anybody know? Everlasting, everlasting. Do you see it? What's your point, Joe? 
Oh, I shouldn't end on this, but I have to. The same everlasting that involves your eternal life, right? Don't you expect to live forever? I do. It doesn't, it sounds weird, but I, I expect that. I think I already have. They who believe, John says in his gospel, have eternal life, right? First John says, these things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. How long is eternal life? It's eternal. It's everlasting. Okay, if our life as believers is everlasting after the grave, or if we're alive at the time of Christ, we're changed in an instant, 1 Corinthians 15. If that's everlasting, look at the end of that verse. Others to shame and what? Everlasting contempt. I like to say in this Bible study, it doesn't please me to say it, but it's true. The good news for Christians is the human spirit is eternal. The bad news for unbelievers is the human spirit is eternal. They will rise and be judged and not be annihilated like some denominations believe, like cults believe, Jehovah's Witnesses believe there's no hell, you're just annihilated. <laughs> This is a weird little promo for next week, but next week we'll talk about hell. Um, and I'll give you all the words in the Bible that describe it, and it ain't good. And you don't have to worry about it, but unbelievers do. And it is just as everlasting as heaven is, according to this verse and many others I'll show you. Um, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, Okay, their, their bodies don't get burned up. The smoke of their torment, listen, rises forever and ever. How many here, you don't have to raise your hand because I know the answer, every hand should go up. Have unsaved family members or friends. Come on, if you don't know someone that's unsaved, you're living in a box in the closet, right? Those people, this is their future apart from a work of God in their lives. What's your point, Joe? You trying to make us feel guilty? Yes. Talk to him. Gently, don't beat him over the head with hell. You're going to burn. Instead, warn them, okay? Listen, some of you know me well enough to say, Joe's my friend. I appreciate that. If you were walking by my house at two in the morning because you couldn't sleep, and you looked over at my house and said, see upstairs there, that's where Joe and Sherry's bedroom is. That's where they sleep. And you looked closely and you saw that the roof was on fire. Okay. Would you say, I hate to bother Joe and wake him up. I'll text him tomorrow and let him know, by the way, your roof was, the house is burning. I hope you'd break a window and do something radical because I'm going to die a horrible death, amen, and suffer forever. The eternity of unbelievers is not good. Therefore, don't be the Christian that says, I didn't want to make you uncomfortable. So you didn't tell me I was going to hell? My house was on fire? Tell him. But I might lose a friend. If you tell him gently and you still lose a friend, you would have lost a friend anyway. What have you lost? But if you tell him and you say, I want to answer your questions. I want to study the Bible with you. Please look at Jesus. What do you have to lose? What do you have to gain? That's all. Now that I've made you feel guilty, 
we'll close <laughs> with prayer. And next week, come back and we'll talk about hell and some other things that are good. Don't worry. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that's all I have to say. I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, we'll just do that next week. I want to close a little early. Thank you for being here. Tell somebody about the Bible study. Be here next week, if you will. Uh, it won't be as much of a bummer as I think it sounds like. Um, if we end early next week, which we almost certainly will, as much of the as the teacher is a babbler, we should not need 90 minutes to go through seven or eight or nine verses. Um, so what we usually do is rather than dive into a new book in the middle of a session, we usually end with a question and answer period where you can, um, it's best if you don't raise your hand and ask a question because then I have to repeat it for them. Email your questions to me, both you guys on Zoom and you people here, and we'll get to as many as we can. It can be about, Daniel can be about anything you want. Do I know all the answers? Absolutely not, okay? But if I don't know them, I'll tell you I don't know it and we'll find the answer somewhere. Um, well, so we'll do that after the end. After this, um, surely we'll finish next week. The following week, we'll start a new study, either the Gospel of John or 1 Corinthians. I'm still figuring it out. I'll know by next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the unbelievable good news to end on. Not hell, but resurrection, eternal life, glory, reward, being united with loved ones, being face to face with the God who made us and loves us. We can't wait, Lord. But in the meantime, give us the boldness that will preach the gospel in love, gently, but truthfully to those around us. Use us for your glory, for the time may be short before all these things start, or our own time may be short. We don't know. So we ask that you would use us for your glory. Thank you that your word again and again and again validates itself by proving that God, you wrote it because of how much predictive prophecy is in there that came true exactly as you said way in advance. We love you, Father. Thank you that in heaven, our names are written on those books and we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but we sure love you for dying Jesus Christ in our place. Bless these truths to our hearts and minds. May they change the way we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here on Zoom. Thank you. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's very important. The rest of you, I'll see you next week. God bless you. Thanks for being here.